everyone. Welcome to Pigskin Pandemic featuring Kevin, Matt, and Ben. Just three of your everyday guys just giving their opinions on all the latest and upcoming NFL news. Things may get a little steamy or a little wild, but hey, it'll always be unscripted and real. Let's listen in and see what they have to say this week. Welcome to the Pigskin Pandemic. I am your host, Kevin, and I have Matt and Ben with me this week again. We're going to go through week eight. Um, there were some upsets. There were some blowouts on the week's games. The trade deadline is over. It, it passed a few hours ago today. Um, I hope you guys went out and voted because it's also election day today. So we have a lot to get into today. So let's get going. Uh, let's go with the games from Sunday. We're just going to pull a few of the games from Sunday. Uh, the first game is the Vikings and the Packers. The Vikings came into Green Bay uh, down on their luck. They were 1-5. and five. Packers were kind of riding high at 5-1. and one. Um, Or they were 5-2, and two, I think. And Minnesota came in and just they they beat Green Bay 20, 28 to twenty two. Kirk Cousins was were they were uh, Kirk Cousins was eleven for fourteen for one sixty with a touchdown. Dalvin Cook had thirty carries for one hundred and sixty three yards and three touchdowns. He also had two receptions for sixty three yards and a touchdown, so he accounted for all four of the Minnesota touchdowns. On the Packers side, Aaron Rodgers was Aaron Rodgers, 27 for 41 for 29 yards and three touchdowns. Um, And their running game didn't get off to what we thought it would, like like they normally would, but um, Williams did run, rushed 16 times for 75 yards. Um, So what happened with Green Bay? I think they really missed Aaron Jones, even though Williams had a nice game. I think they're just a different level of, of production and level of talent from the running back position. And uh, they, they they seemed to come out at the beginning of the game that they kind of overlooked their opponent, I think. I think they, you know, Minnesota had been really down and had been really playing poorly. And and I think uh, Green Bay, even though what happened in Tampa Bay, I think they came out and thought they were – getting a soft bounce back and instead uh, got everything that the Vikings could throw out. I also think the defense played a huge role in it. I think, I mean, to put it as delicately as possible, Mike Penning fucking sucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he, uh, he is absolutely to blame for their oh, defensive woes. I mean, Again, it's one of those things where you see the potential that the team has when you start, like we were talking earlier this season about Atlanta. When you start to see the potential that the team has, especially on one side of the ball, you have to start to question, you know, is it is it all of a sudden these guys just, they're no good anymore? Or is it the coaching? Uh, perfect uh, parallels, what's going on in Dallas. They've got all those high-paid defenders. Who Who is it really? Is it, is it are those guys just all of a sudden, does it have, have their tanks dried up? Or is it the coordinator and coaching? So I just feel like uh, Mike Mike Patton is uh, he's he's the problem there. I, I think Aaron Rodgers can only do so much, especially considering that he is like like I do agree with Ben. It's not you know you're not going to convince me that the Packers are better without Aaron Jones. 
So um, yeah. I think, you know, those two things and, of course, it being a divisional matchup, um, it just kind of played out of their hands. All right, we go to the next upset of the week. This was probably the one of the bigger upsets of the week. Uh, uh, the Tennessee Titans lost to the Cincinnati Bengals 31 to 20, which I, and it wasn't close. It's not even as close as that score it really shows. It wasn't close. Um, Tennessee did make a game of it in the fourth quarter, but they, I mean, they just got, they just got smoked and, you know, Derrick Henry did his job. He had 18 carries for 112 yards and a touchdown. Ryan Tannehill had eight. Uh, he was 18 for 30 for 233, two touchdowns, and then pick. Joe Burrow. That pick was that huge. pick was that pick was huge. Um, mm-hmm. The Bengals, though, Burrow still. I mean, they're making Burrow throw the ball a crazy amount of times, and he is very efficient throwing the ball 30 and 40 times a game. Uh, this game, he was 26 for 37 for 249 and two touchdowns with no interceptions. And I think that, I mean, their running game just barely topped a hundred yards, but I guess you keep, you keep a team like the Titans in check. Um, they really don't have, from, from what I'm understanding, their secondary is just putrid. And Malcolm Butler is trash, and he's been trash since <laughs> bef- when he before he got cut or before he got benched in the Super Bowl. People were saying, "Hey, why do you bench the guy that had ninety seven percent of your snaps in the regular season?" And one of the reasons was he got smoked badly in those those two playoff games that they had, and he, they had no answer for him. Malcolm Butler just didn't show up, so he got benched. Um, and then he goes to the Titans, and he does absolutely less. He does less. So, um, and that pretty much fueled them or pushed them to do what they did in the trade deadline, which we'll get into later. But how does this win look, or how does this loss look for the Titans? I mean, there's definitely um, some some chinks in the armor showing lately. Um, But I really think this game primarily hinged on that one Tannehill interception, um, which was probably about the worst throw that he has made, um, you know, as a Tennessee Titan, as far as I can certainly recall. Um, And and they just never really had an answer back for it. Now get this. The Titans did not sack Joe Burrow one time. Titans defense hasn't been great this year, especially when it comes to getting pressures and, and getting, uh, getting sacks. The, uh, the clowny move does not, uh, not look like it, it, you know, has paid dividends. Because Clowney is only a situational player. You know, he's not, Yes. Well, I mean, for years, the, the conversation behind Clowney has been, it doesn't matter that he doesn't get sacks, he gets pressures. And, and I can buy into that. And I understand that the advanced, you know, analytics and metrics and all that, you know, bear that out. That hasn't been the case in Tennessee. He hasn't even been getting pressures. You know, so they, they, uh, they just have not been able to produce like they have in, in years past. So when I look at 
stats here, I don't – he had one tackle. Clowney had one whole tackle. <laughs> one. And – Yeah, like I so said, even if you look at the advanced metrics on, you know, the things like pressures and things like that, he's not getting those either. So, so it's – yes, that one pick changes things – but they were just beat. They were just punched in the mouth, and they couldn't recover. And I think that they were surprised that the Bengals actually stepped up and punched them in the mouth and kept punching them in the mouth. And Joe Burrow, they realized that Joe Burrow's the real deal. Um, I mean, one pick, one pick can turn the tide, but they were they were thoroughly beaten, and and they they just couldn't get out of that hole. So. That was a signature win for the for the Bengals this year. That may be their signature win, um, but we'll see how many other wins they can they can muster up this year. Uh, the Steelers and the Ravens, which was the game of the week, Steelers went into Baltimore and beat the Ravens twenty eight to twenty four. Ben Roethlisberger. Went 20 – now, listen to this stat line. He went 21 of 32 for 182 yards and two touchdowns. James Conner had 15 carries for 47 yards. That was their offense. Yeah, it's not a very effective offense. No. Total sure. yards. Yeah, total I mean... yards. The Steelers had 221 total yards. And they win. And they won because, you know, it was like a mirror of two. It was like two games. There was two games that did the same thing at the end. Um, Lamar Jackson fumbles at the end, trying to trying to force a play. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the Ravens, you know, Jackson was 13 of 28, which isn't all that great. 13 of 28. 208 yards, two touchdowns, and two picks. And J.K. Dobbins did his job. He had 15 carries for 113 yards. Uh, he didn't have any touchdowns, but he did He did have 113 yards, and they did run the ball for, for over 200 yards. But those interceptions from Lamar Jackson hurt them badly. And he accounted for... I want to say three turnovers by himself because he he did throw two picks and he fumbled at the end of the game. So those th- and and that's what happens with Jackson when he when they're losing they're losing because Jackson is turning the ball over just too many times. He'll have a pick and two fumbles, uh, two picks, two fumbles, things like that because he's not taking care of the football. Can he get over the hump of beating? Elite teams. Can you see that happening? I think he can. I just think it's gonna have to. They're gonna have to start working on his passing mechanics. I, f- I feel like he's just making bad decisions. Um, and they always say say that that's always like the heavy critique, right, against a scrambling quarterback is whether or not he's gonna be able to, you know, eventually get the, his touch and uh, you know, uh, and his reads down. Um, I think Jackson has shown, uh, you know, a, a limitless potential for progress it really matters on what harbaugh does with them and how they decide to go forward i think a um 
a smart move would be to get them an established him an established number one receiver at some point and really try to work with uh with that you know give him a guy that he can always count on or even uh, if you need you know if, if he could um go more to mark andrews i mean he just needs a sure set of hands and somebody that he really seems to have that like coordination with you know like that uh yeah they really don't have almost like really dependable card you know what right except for except for andrews but But andrews is the guy who's getting double this is a greg roman offense when you look at when he was in san francisco he had decent receivers he had a decent tight end that they went to kaepernick was the quarterback and when they needed him to run he ran the ball like crazy he did just enough, but he couldn't take them over the hump with his arm, per se, all the time. He could do it because he had they had the he had his legs that was another weapon. But if you took that away from him, he couldn't really sit there and stand in the pocket and just throw the ball, you know, 28 to 30 times and be efficient. Jackson can't do that either. And I think it's not that they need another receiver, which they might. I think that it's just Greg Roman. His time is up. I think that. I mean, if I'm Baltimore, I am on the phone right now. Or I mean, it's passed, so it's it's you know not happening. But I would have absolutely been offering a, a pretty decent amount for someone like uh, a Jameson Crowder. Um. Oh, yeah. You know, like not that he's, you know, a, a top five, you know, wide receiver or anything like that, but he is exactly what he needs. He needs a guy who is dependable, who I can throw to on third down. He's you know, a good possession receiver. Yeah, you're just a good, solid, you know, Anquan Bolden type. You know, he needs he needs the, that. The problem is, is the um, problem is and, that and he, he, he's going to have to – that receiver is going to have to strictly be, you know – work in the middle of the field. Lamar Jackson can't throw sideline to sideline. He can't do it. Not consistently. So he needs he needs no, he needs a slot receiver. Sure. He needs a slot receiver that can work the middle of the field, sit down that sit sit down that zone and just that's why Andrews works so well because that tight end seam is always open when they're just running zone. And they have to run zone on Jackson right, because right. if you run man on him He's just going to drop back and he's just going to take off. Every time he sees man, he's dropping back right. and he's taking off, which I would tell my quarterback if I'm, you know, if, if I'm the OC and I have Lamar Jackson, if you see the man and up, take off. Don't even, don't even think twice. But they're yeah. starting to take away the middle of the field and he is having to, he's coming up to the line of scrimmage and sometimes when they zoom in on him, you can see it in his face that he doesn't know what he's looking at. He doesn't have a clue. Yeah, he doesn't have a clue what he's looking at. And so he's talented. I just don't – I just hope that it's not another African-American quarterback falling into the – he can run, but he just can't throw like all the others that have come around and just and, – and I think the only African-American quarterback, well, there may be two, that kind of sat in the pocket and could throw the football and not rely on their legs was uh, Warren Moon and 
Doug Williams were the last, I think, the last black quarterbacks that, you know, they were pocket passers. Warren could run, but he wasn't relying on his legs like Donovan or Cam Newton, things like that, or Michael Vick. So we'll see. We'll see how we'll see how it plays out. We move to the Sunday night game where the Eagles beat the Cowboys 23 to 9, which I have no idea how they beat the Cowboys 23 to 9. Um I mean not when you look at the stat line. Danucci. That 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 honestly, yeah, you didn't say Danucci. Um, that honestly probably was the ugliest professional football game I, I can, can remember watching in a long remember time. Remember, especially watching something, yeah, that both sloppy, teams. that bad, and it wasn't. I'm gonna put it to you like this: it wasn't everybody else that was bad. It was the quarterbacks and the offensive line. I've never seen it. That that's it's just it's just yeah. I mean, didn't look Danucci he came in Yeah, you you forget Danucci. He's a third string, you know, late draft quarterback who wasn't expected to see the field but he had at three all days this of practice. Year. He had three days and of practice, years. right? So yeah. You know, he didn't have his, you know, he didn't have a couple weeks to try to, you know, figure out, you know, how the Eagles were coming. The Eagles love to blitz. So you're going to blitz Danucci almost every play. Yes. So every time he turned around, he was running to his right. And the other thing that I saw with Danucci is how many ways he was trying to get the ball out of his hands and the receivers just weren't ready for that. They're used to the ball coming out a certain way. Yeah. The same way every single time. This guy's sidearming it. He's flipping it. He's the, the and I know the wind was kind of, you know, the wind was kind of heavy in Philly because it normally is at the link. But the balls he's fluttering all over the place. It's just, but it's not just him. Yeah, it, it was it was just ugly, ugly football from from start to finish. Started at the quarterback position and and trickled down to about every other position. And it wasn't on just him; it just wasn't him um, because Carson Wentz. Yeah, I, <laughs> this dude had four turnovers, four, four more. Right. I mean, when, when your numbers look the same as the true rookie from not a prestigious you know program, and you know didn't expect to see the field at all this year, and you know all of those things, when your numbers look the same as that guy. Like, I mean, like a guy at the <laughs> University of North Dakota. I mean, that's fair. But, you know, he was a first-round quarterback and obviously has a lot more expectation on him than that. Um, but, I mean, that, you know, when, when that's what your numbers compare to, that is just not not anything. And, and, by the way, they're getting healthier. The crazy part to me is, like, Philadelphia is getting healthier, but it seems like they're actually kind of playing well, worse. I don't know how there was that a couple things. Happening. I mean, Jason Peters got hurt, which is a normal thing every week. Um, th- th- he, right. He's getting hurt. And, well, we'll talk about that in, in the next segment. But at the end of the day, 
going back to what Matt is saying, he's from the University of North Dakota. That's a D2 school. And he's playing like a D2 quarterback. And he had the he had the one close to MVP season, and everybody can agree that if he played 16 games that season, he was probably the overwhelming favorite to be the MVP. And they probably still would have won the Super Bowl. I get that. But he hasn't done anything since. And is it that we overrate? Is he overrated? Uh, Yeah, I think there's some of that. And I think also there's just, as we've talked about many, many times before, so we don't need to beat this dead horse. um, There's regression. There's definite regression that's happened. Um, which, you know, is on the quarterback, but it's also on the coaching staff, as as Matt has very uh, astutely pointed out plenty of times. Was... Yeah, you can only blame him so much. I mean, especially with the offensive line woes. I mean, there's a lot going on there. Um, and, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've, I've not forgotten the fact that he's, you know, been throwing all kinds of garbage from a clean pocket. Uh, it's just – it's not all his fault. I mean, like Ben says, hey, there's enough, there's enough blame to go around. Um, but yeah, part, part of it is that he's a bit overrated, which is why I think that they're afraid to, um, I, and I really do believe that. I really think the Eagles are afraid to step away from Wentz and start letting Hertz have meaning, take meaningful snaps because the moment they do that, especially in a city like Philadelphia, the contra, the noise is just so loud. Um, and I don't think that they're ready. I don't think they're in any position to make, a decision, uh, especially related to a new guy under center. Do you want to put your new quarterback, who you may really be leaning to in the future, do you really want to put him in a situation where, as Kevin says, you're seeing ghosts? Um, so it's it's a tough situation, and they're they're kind of married to him at this point. He's got that fat contract, and at the end of the day, you know, you kind of have to sell him. You ha- you have to continue to sell him as See, the, the guy. Thing- you can't. The, the moment the public finds out the organization has lost faith, there's no reason to, See, they they're just going to be clamoring for the next thing, the next guy. Because his contract is so fat right now. And no. And, and yeah, no one's paying him that. The other part is, is that the Eagles have to sit back and say, we picked the wrong quarterback. Now, there were other options at number two, but they wanted Carson Wentz, and they went with Wentz thinking that he was the guy, and now they have to sit back and go, no, he's not. Well, they did do that when they picked Jalen Hurts, and they can say all day long, well, you know, Jalen Hurts is not, you know, he's just, he's, he's not going to be that starter right now. We're, we believe in Wentz. Well, if you believed in him, you wouldn't have gotten a quarterback drafted so high last year or this past, this past draft. You would give him another weapon. Right. You, given you would give him You would give him some offensive line help. You, it, all those, all those things. So, yeah, when the Jalen Hurts is sitting there and what he did in Oklahoma, that's fantastic. That's great. The land, you know, the, what is that? The Big Twelve, where nobody plays defense. That's fantastic. But you, you, you're telling, you're telling you on yourself when you go, hey, I'm going to go up here and I'm going to grab a quarterback in the second round. When, when the Patriots grabbed. Jimmy G in the second round, everybody knew why we were grabbing him because they knew that Tom Brady's time was going to be short mm-hmm. and it was time to bring in the, 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 the next, the next quarterback. So 
Now, I don't, I don't, I don't see that. I, I just don't, I don't believe that they believe in Carson Wentz. They're just making the moves to show that he, they, they don't. And he's been looking bad this year. He's, he's, but you know, the Eagles fans, they, if he goes out on Sunday and he throws for 350, you know, four touchdowns and no interceptions, he'll be, he'll be in the MVP race again. Right, they'll be they'll be rocking, and he'll be right back in the fans' good graces. And that's one of the things that kind of kills me about that that fan base in general. Um, you know, they 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 fall to their knees and worship at the shrine of Howie, and Howie really hasn't been a great GM by any means. He fell into the start with Carson Wentz when Sam Bradford proved to be an untenable starter, and yeah. all of a sudden Minnesota was desperately in need. You know, it, it's there's there. Howie has lucked. Howie lucked into uh, Adam Gase failing to recognize that Jay Ajayi was a bruising running back, and you know would fit any number of schemes. Like it's just yeah, I mean, that's, has, not, that's not made, totally. I mean, that was all right. But I'm saying, but what I'm saying is, Howie has fallen into more success than he has had than he has manufactured. And I don't think Eagles fan. I, and I understand that a lot of times you don't care. You know, there's that old saying: it's better. To, I'd rather be lucky than good, or it's better to be lucky than good. But at the end of the day, like he has made more poor decisions than good decisions. Luck, luck aside. No, no that I, if you, if you fact, I, I think what Howie yeah, is, was, is absolutely coasting on is he had one really good season of decisions. He had a good season. Well, that, and he's, um, like, he's like a lifelong friend of Jeffrey Lurie, isn't he? He's like they've been friends for like a long right, time. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. He's, you know, he's, and he's had, he, he had that one really good season for you know, the Super Bowl run and then you know, during that same period where they made good decisions about contracts and, you know, extending Fletcher Cox when they did, you know, stuff like that, that all looked right. absolutely brilliant at the time and even looked brilliant for, you know, probably two years around it. It's just, it never continued. And it, they never, they never replenished that cupboard of the, the things they lost. The, the reason why Ajay was a great move and the reason why Ajay was also available were the same things. The Dolphins knew they weren't going anywhere. The Dolphins knew that Ajay didn't have anything more in him than one season. So they were selling him as a one-year rental. It was a great move for Philadelphia because they needed a one-year rental. They needed a guy who could help them get over the hump to get to the Super Bowl, and he absolutely did that. The Dolphins also knew, medically speaking, his knees were never right. going to last more than a season. And they did. You know, so that's why, you know, they, they you know, it, it was a win-win trade. It just for where both. Right. I'm not, I'm not disputing that some of his stuff hasn't worked out. I'm simply saying that. Well, he's what happened? Well, what happens? Yeah. No, no. I, happens I, I, is, you know, more than he's been out there is, is doing it. And totally. You get these young guys in and they perform past their, let's say they go past the rookie deals. So now they want the money. At some point, if you're not drafting, for the person next in line for injury or age, those contracts, if you backload those contracts and you ride those contracts out at some point, they're all going to come crashing to a head. And this is what happened this past off season and last off season, they were up against the cap and they've been up against the cap for the past two to three years. And when you get when you're just shelling money out because you're happy that they're performing and you really think that for the next three or four years, this mm -hmm. is going to be our core team. There's no such thing as that anymore in football. There's no such thing anymore 
because the, because of the salary cap and because of free agency, there's no such thing as a core team. You may have players that can sit there for you may have one or two players on defense and one or two players on offense, quarterback mm-hmm. being one of them, maybe running back for four years, maybe wide receiver, offensive lineman, maybe one or two offensive linemen. You'll have maybe a, a cornerback or a linebacker that stays with you for, you know, maybe six or seven years. But there's no there's no core teams anymore. And they tried to bring that core team back. And it blew up in their face. And now when you look across the offensive line, Lane Johnson, who hasn't been healthy since he came off the PEDs, he can't stay healthy. Jason Peters is old. Fletcher Cox is out there by himself. Uh, Their secondary still is worse than what it was in 2017. Carson Wentz is looking horrible. They don't know who's their running back. Guess what? I just saw the wide receiver out there, Kroger. Like He's trying out. For the for the Eagles next week, like there's it's just so many issues, and I get I get it I get the injuries and I get all of that, but when you look at their drafts, these teams that piece, and and my and my team is 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 guilty of it. When you piece together veterans because you want those guys that have already played the game and come in and they can fit your scheme, if you don't draft well. When those guys become old and they have to ship out and you look at your rookies and you go, oh, shoot, we don't have nobody. We, what, well, we don't have a choice. That's when you go bad. And this is why the Eagles are bad right now. And this is why the Patriots are so bad. Uh, they just waited too long. They waited too long. Right. And, and that's the thing with Eagles, too. Like, I mean, I can I can absolutely respect the idea of having like a core. I, to me, that was one of the things that made the Giants great in those years from like, you know, 2006 to 2013, right around there. You had uh, a, a core of guys that rather. But, but what the Eagles attempt, attempted to do is like the football equivalent of like, I don't know, like like trying to get an entire cast of a television show together. But half of them have already died. Like they they are literally dragging dudes on the wrong you know like on the wrong side of 35 into their locker room and overpaying them and then they're like well we don't know what's going on we don't under doug doug's like i don't understand why carson's not doing what he you know what he used to do i know i know why anybody who pays attention to football knows why there's poor decisions being made from top to bottom in that organization from who's starting to how they're playing and to the way the money's being given out let alone the draft they they're in just as bad a shape as the giants if not worse, <laughs> and I, for one, am absolutely relishing it. Well, you know, we moved from that game to a game that probably shocked no one or shocked everyone but Ben, which was the Dolphins who just took it to the Rams 28-17. to And in this game, Jared Goff, Jared Goff was 35 of 61, 355, yes, 61. God. God. 61. Okay. <laughs> I, I had no idea that was the stat line. Like, I knew he, well, he, had I knew he threw the football a lot that, that <laughs> day. I watched to. a lot of that game. But 61. Oh, I get it. I get it. When, 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 but do you keep letting him throw the football when that defense has shown well, they a did, penchant? They did pick it. For they catching his, twice. his He did throw <laughs> like, only one touchdown. <laughs> I mean, they scored 17 points, but. Um, when you look at their 
their rushing. Um, what's that? Probably 120 yards rushing between 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 yeah, they, they ran the ball four guys. Um, and you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna back up and I'm gonna say Robert Woods only carried the ball twice, but you know, um, he did. You know, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods they did their job. You know, catching the football. Um, Cup had 110 yards on 11 receptions, and Robert Woods had 85 yards on seven receptions. He spread the ball around pretty decently. Um, on the Miami side, it wasn't Tua. This is, I guess, this is the best way to start off a rookie by having your defense cover for you. And all you have to do is Absolutely. manage the game. And when I say manage the game, just don't turn the ball over. That's it. Even if you go, let's say, 9 of 20 and you're under 50%, if you don't turn the ball over and your defense puts you in position to score, then it doesn't matter what your stat line is because they're not thinking about that. You put up 28 points. Your defense was the main reason why. And this is what happened with Miami. And I know that they took a page out of the Super Bowl book. And it shows that Jared Goff still doesn't know what he's looking at either. And there was two things that they did in that Super Bowl. The one thing that they they noticed was that Sean McVay, they, they break the huddle early. So that when they come out, Sean McVay can tell Jarrett Goff exactly what the defense is doing. So that he can now either throw to his hot read, he can check down, he can make changes, he can check the line of scrimmage, he can slide his protection. Because basically, Sean McVay is the quarterback in his ears. After the... The, the headset piece goes off, and I believe it goes off after at 15 seconds. Then he snaps the ball because now he knows exactly what he's seeing. Well, what the Patriots did in the Super Bowl was that they kept the headset. They, there was two things that they did. The first thing that they did was they kept the headset on for the, in the, on the middle linebacker in, the, in his helmet. So they were talking to him, telling him what the offense was doing. And the second thing that they did, which I believe Miami did too, was they made their shift after 15 seconds. Cheap. They actually showed Jared Goff what something different after 15 seconds. And when the headset goes off and Jared Goff doesn't know what he's looking at, it's, oh, snap, what am I supposed to do? Well, the, the Dolphins did on defense what they've had success with this year against – um, a number of teams since we've been on this winning streak. They utilized the zero blitz really well, um, and Goff had no answer for it. Um, and what they kept doing is they kept bringing the zero blitz yeah. by shifting to one side or the other, which left for a wide-open free blitzer. And, and you know, most other decent quarterbacks in the league account for that free blitzer before the snap and, and make it, you know, a hot read or, or, you know, a shift out of it or, or something along those lines, Jared Goff just had no answer for it. And, and by extension, the Rams offensive scheme had no answer for it. Um, 
the the you know you said they scored 17 points they did seven of those 17 points came off of a turnover inside the 20 in the you know on the first possession you know so that that was kind of a gift uh and then there was a blown uh defensive assignment on a uh, on a reverse to Robert Woods is what you know accounted for the touchdown um so i mean the 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 game was that the dolphins defense absolutely had an answer uh for how to stop Jared Goff um and they were running the ball well the rams were running the ball well on us um but they just kept turning the ball over so much that the it ended up being a game where they really couldn't run the ball to get back into it they were running the ball well if you were ahead or if it was a close game but the fact that they needed to get 10 you know points or so you know just to to get back into the thing um they just they they were never really able to get back to that and and on the Tua side of things he he didn't play you know great by any means obviously that stat line you can see it um but what he did do was what you want to see out of a rookie quarterback in his first start is he didn't make mistakes and he understood what he was looking at and he got the ball out of his hands quickly and he, you know, he made the right read when he needed to, you know, and that's, that's what you want to see out of, you know, a rookie quarterback in his first. So um, arrow definitely up. Um, it was, was very, Happy with you know seeing that. Obviously, he's got to progress uh, in order to be will. able to take this will. team to he's other places. Just... Um, I absolutely think he will. But the you defense know, is, the you know, defense too early is to tell for sure. Time to um, grow by playing the way they did. What What worries me about this team is right now this team is a defense that can play with a lead. You yeah. know, they're kind of like like the Colts of old kind of thing. Uh, you know that when they when they have a lead, they're a defense that can play with a lead and and be absolutely dominating. They're they're actually the number one scoring defense in the league and are, are number one in a, or number uh, top three in a number of different statistical categories. Um, but I can tell you, watching you know from the eyeball test, they're giving up too much on the ground. They're they're not stopping the run. Um, they started to get a little bit of production out of a Landon Roberts, the, the linebacker that we brought in from uh, New England. Um, yeah. He started to really make a difference in the run game um, in the second half of the game. Um, so that that was encouraging because if they can start to see some production out of that, it kind of makes up for, um, you know, they, they traded away uh, Raekwon in the, the uh, offseason um, and they didn't really have an answer there. Um, and that's where, you know, like at the trade deadline, I was hoping Miami would make a move for someone like, say, a Ryan Kerrigan or someone along those lines, something that could kind of help shore up the defensive line uh, to be able to uh, to go ahead and help with that one defense. And if they uh, did, they wanted so much that people were laughing at him. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, who knows what the compensation was. He was pretty vocal and wanted to be out of there and. You know, they obviously don't have anything as a reason to really hang on to him at this point. Obviously, you're not going to give him away for nothing. I thought something like uh, like like trading Jordan Howard, you know, giving them a running back, which they need running back depth over there. Um, and, uh, you know, and like a fourth round pick or something along those lines. I thought that that would be a win-win for both teams. Um, obviously, that, that didn't come to fruition. Um, but as far as, you know, where the Dolphins are at right now, 
you see very little difference between what you got out of Ryan Fitzpatrick and what you're getting out of Tua, which is a good thing um, for a rookie making his first start. Um, and you're just hoping that that's the reason they made the move is because they said, well, if, if we're going to be the same, we may as well, you know, err on the side of letting him develop and get better. We know Ryan Fitzpatrick is never going to be better than, than you know, where he is or where he's already been. Um, so, you know, that's why it, it obviously makes sense so, to Matt, check that, this you know, they make that move when they did. This stat is unbelievable. I don't, I don't even, Ben, I don't even, I don't even know if you knew There's that. There's some stats from this game. Probably did. So the Dolphins had 48 total plays on offense. 48 total plays to get 28 yep. points. The Rams had 92 total plays. <laughs> now they had at least 60 because Jared Goff threw the ball 61 times. So they had at least 60 plays. 92 total plays, and they ended up with 17 points. Now that right there shows the, you know, the the famous bend but don't break defense, where uh, you can run up and you can run up. All up and down the field on me. I really don't care. But when we get into that red zone, you're not scoring. And if you do score, you're not scoring any touchdowns. You'll score field goals. And that, for a younger defense, yeah, you might be able to stay on the field 92 plays. But as the season goes on, Miami has to kind of shorten that up a little bit and not be on the field, you know, 60, 70, 70, 80, 90 plays because it wears that defense down. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. Being on the field that long can spell disaster for a defense that is making strides on the, in the upward motion. Um, but that was just a crazy stat that they had 92 total plays and only could, could muster up 17 points. So we... Yeah, there, there were a lot of really bonkers stats from this game. You know, you're you're certainly not going to win many many games in the NFL by, you know, getting a, a a punt return for a touchdown and a defensive score and another defensive score at the one or defensive turnover at the one yard line. Um, you know, so that that's not going to happen every week by any means. Um, but you know, like I say, you, you know, wins a win, and and they they did what they needed to to protect a young quarterback and you know, projecting forward, you know, looking at their schedule and that kind of thing, you, you, you feel pretty good about where things are at. I, I actually was just playing this game with, uh, with my brother, you know, kind of going game by game between the dolphins and the, and the bills. And it kind of projects out for both teams to be right around that nine and seven mark, 10 and six mark with kind of the swing, being, know you know, that. their final know. game of the year. I don't um, know. I don't know if, I don't know if the Bills will be able to get to nine and seven anymore or ten and six anymore. I don't think they can. I don't think so. I mean, that's a fair question, but I'm just saying if you just look at, you know, what's left on the Bills schedule, you know, they've got the Seahawks this week. That's tough. 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 You know, Cardinals, Steelers, that's tough. I mean, tough. Cardinals aren't tough, tough. I mean, they're, they're, you know, probably, 
I think I think they're about the same as the Bills. I think you know all those teams are right in that middle area, and then they really don't have a whole lot else. You know, they've got you know the Dolphins at the end of the year. They've got the Patriots. Sorry, that's not much of a game. Um, they've got the Broncos. They've got the Chargers. And the Broncos and the you know, Broncos, the, could, you know, the Broncos not, defense not, is a lot stronger than I the Jets thought. Every week, but you know, um, and they they do play a, a lot stronger on defense than what most people take them to be on defense. You would think that they were a little weaker on defense, but they're kind of not. That's not a gimme. Um, their next three games, mm-hmm. they could lose all three of those, and the Cardinals. No, they're not. They're not. They're scary. That's. I'm not not saying the Cardinals are a defense, but an offense. Um, even on defense, on the defensive side of the ball, they're they're not. They're not slouching, and so. I can't see. I like I said. I just can't see the Bills. No, but see the Bills are on there. Their defense is what got them where they were last year, and their defense this year is nowhere close to their defense that they had last year. No, but their offense is also playing better and and they're, you know, they're already at a 6 and 2 record. So, you know, if we were if if the teams were both even, I would say yeah, that could be true. But uh but you know, right right now they have a nice cushion. Um, and like I say, I'm not I'm not saying you know the Cardinals are slouches by any means, but I also don't look at them and go, oh, that's definitely a loss. Um, you know, the the Steelers game is about you know the the definitely the toughest game that's left on their schedule, um, and uh, you know it's it's at home uh, on a Sunday night. Um, you know, I wouldn't shock me to see them pull the upset there. I'm actually rooting for it because it's about the only game left on the Steelers' <laughs> schedule that has a chance at a loss. Um, but you're going to be torn. You're going to be torn. But, because... You know, like same thing for you know for the Cardinals. You know, and here's the reason: the reason why you'll be. Oh torn no, I'm not. This, and I and I know, you know, because I mean the Steelers could just could just bomb in one of those games just because they're the Steelers, um, but. What you wanted to do, which sure. you wanted, which goes into my next game, is you wanted the Patriots mm-hmm. to beat the Bills because coming up, when you're looking at your next game, the Bills game next week is the Seahawks, or this week coming is the Seahawks, and there's no guarantee that they beat them. And yeah. if Miami wins nope. next week, now you're in first place. So, and then at that point, yeah. it just becomes, hey, you know, who can win? Who can, can, who can sustain wins? Who can sustain the wins? Okay, everyone, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening in. Don't forget to join us next week as we hear more of the guys' opinions as they talk about the news on the NFL. Goodbye.